Hello, my name is Declan Deneen. Welcome to Checkpoints. This is a show about video games, the people who play them and the people who make them. Each episode of guests on the show talks about the games that have shaped their life in one way or another. Games that have inspired them, games that have forged connections, and games that have soothed wounds. My guest on today's episode is Anthony Gallegos. Uh, Anthony is probably familiar to most people listening to the show. He was uh, previously a writer for places like One Up and IGN and is a prolific podcaster. He's been doing Rebel FM with uh, Arthur Geese for many, many, many years. Uh, he's previously part of the Comedy Button, the Game Spy debriefings, and uh, originally the GFW Radio, which is a, a seminal kind of old One Up podcast, which I think kind of laid the groundwork for a lot of the the video game podcast that that followed uh, is a brilliant chat like anthony sort of moved into development uh, a, a few years ago and is now working on the the marvel heroes mmo game and yeah it's, it's brilliant so he's such a, a lovely guy and it was a really engaging really interesting chat and never expected to be talking to anthony about the the unders in in glasgow which is a a very local reference which uh, the scottish people will uh, enjoy i think very much um, as always, if you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email. It's checkpointspodcast at gmail.com or it's at Checkpoint Show on Twitter or it's Checkpoints Podcast on Facebook. It's very important to have consistent branding. Uh, if you enjoy the show, please do rate and review on iTunes, uh, subscribe, leave a review. All of that stuff is really genuinely massively useful in kind of expanding the show, finding new listeners, and is uh, very much appreciated. If you have the, the money and the inclination, there's also a Patreon page, which is patreon.com forward slash checkpoints. All donations are very gratefully received and go into making the show as good as it possibly can be. If this happens to be your, your first episode of the show, uh, welcome. Thanks for downloading. And um, please do dig back into the archives. There's a ton of amazing interviews with, with fascinating people. Uh, and, and they're kind of the evergreen content, so they're always good to listen to. Like if... Uh, if you remember Anthony from like GFW Radio, I've, I've had Jeff Green uh, from that same podcast on the show before and John Davison from back in uh, One Up and now, sadly, R.I.P. Glixel. Um, but amazing, amazing chats and amazing developers and musicians and artists and comedians. It's, it's all good stuff. Uh, so please do dig back. Um, I'll be back next week with a new episode and a new guest. But until then, let's get on with the show. Um, okay, well, I'll I'll do a, start with like a regular formal introduction um, sure. for the sake of editing. So, Anthony, thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, if you don't mind, would you introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm Anthony Gallegos. I'm a game designer now, formerly of the press world, the enthusiast press world, working for sites like IGN and One Up and uh various magazines and i've just been involved with games for a long time and was there like a specific point or a specific day or a thing that happened where you were like no do you know i'm a game designer now like that's i can change that i'll update my bios uh man it took a while i mean i got the job but when i got the job i had a lot of imposter syndrome so uh it was probably i mean i felt like i could definitely update the bios by the time i shipped a game so shipping a game was definitely a, a a a turnstile moment for me to be like, okay, we that we've now crossed 
the line. And what was the what was the first game that you chipped? Was uh, it a black site game? Oh no, it was a. Uh... I know. Honestly, the games I work on had such terrible names. They like, uh, so there was that Blacklight Retribution PS4 game. That one I did okay. work on, uh, but the first one I shipped was a game called Daylight because people at our studio were really creative with their naming, and <laughs> that game got man. It came out in a terrible time because Daylight came out in the same year as, oh geez, there was like a zombie game with like parkour running. I can't remember the name of that game. But people often Dead confused. Island. Dead Island. No, it was the from the Dead Island team. Hold on, uh, zombie. I'm trying to. Let me see. I just typed in random random words into Google to see if it would come up. I can't remember <laughs> the name of it. But Dead it was, by Daylight. No, that's an old game. No, Dead Dead by Daylight's another. See, that's what I'm saying. There's a bajillion games, but people often would ask me <laughs> if I was working on this other game, and I was like, Oh no, no, no. So our game was. You know, a game that I joined the company in May, and by uh, April the following year. And when I joined the company in May, mind you, there was a like a prototype, and that was it. And then by April the next year, we we had shipped that game for PS4 launch window. Really, like just uh, very efficient <laughs> video it, game it, design. Yeah, yeah, it was it was. It wasn't like there was time and people were like, don't worry, we have time to ease you into it and you'll have all these people to learn from. It was like, you're the designer on this very small team and you have to now script in Unreal. Hopefully you've done that before, which of course <laughs> I hadn't. So it was, it was really rough. That sounds terrifying. Like genuinely, I almost got a little bit anxious just hearing you describe that. That sounds quite like was it was that terrifying that that must have been yeah there was definitely a a kind of i made a terrible mistake feeling for the first <laughs> couple of months up there and the team i worked with was very understanding and supportive because a lot of them had done a similar thing but at the same time we also had milestones that we had to deliver to the publisher to get paid so there was it was like patience balanced with people being like, well, we're being patient, but you still have to like deliver things even if you don't. And it, it's nowadays it'd be such a breeze. Like a lot of the stuff I was struggling with is stuff that uh, Epic now has documentation for. But at the time we were working in Unreal before anyone had shipped anything in it. So or Unreal 4. So there was no documentation out there at all so learning going from writing to learning how to make games with no documentation was pretty challenging um but i was very thankful that we had a really awesome intern and a really awesome guy that we ended up hiring about like four months into the project who both of them saved my ass because they were like students from a game design school called digipin and they had really really strong programming skills which made up for my shortcomings of having zero programming skills <laughs> well that's good that i mean also like when i think like i i was first introduced to you i suppose like way back on the the old gfw podcast which you know a lot of those guys went on to work in in design as well so i imagine and and obviously like a lot of people you've worked with have probably made that same leap so i'm sure you had a lot of people to to call in and like speak to and you know who would be very sympathetic to what you were going through you know yeah and 
and again, uh, but a lot of them, like my friend Sean Elliott, who worked on Bioshock, like for him, you know, I know some of the first jobs he interviewed were production jobs, and but he ended up doing design, and you know, with Bioshock, that was a game that they were working on for five years, so it wasn't like he had a bit of time to learn. Not that okay. I'm saying it wasn't hard. But he was working in UE3, which had really strong documentation. Like, I will probably never experience a moment like that again in my life because it was just a confluence. Like, if I took that exact same job right now, it would have been 100% easier just because there's, like, you could literally type almost any question you have in Unreal. And not only is there, like, their own uh, boards with an amazing community, but there's also... uh, there's also like a YouTube video that will probably walk you through it step by step. It's just different time. I mean, we were shipping. I mean, the game I worked on. One thing I can say about it, it wasn't that great, but it was the first UE4 game that that was released because uh, we were shipping on the engine in such an early state. So, well, that's something you can put on your CV. Yeah, it's so true. It was, so, what about what about now? What are you currently working on? If you like uh, to talk about anything. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, these days, I hopefully, new projects in the future, but uh, working on of an action RPG, which is like, you know, it's like a Diablo-like game called mm-hmm. uh, Marvel Heroes. So, and I guess, you know, I don't really feel any qualms. I mean, it's a qualms comparing it to Diablo. The guy that made Diablo 1 and 2 was also the like head designer on it and but it is it's also it's it is it shares some dna with it but it's also very distinctly its own game um and yeah it's, it's weird that, that that sort of whole genre like they've been doing those kind of marvel diablo style games for for a long time right they used to be, i'm sure there were ones on ps2 and ps3 there was uh ultimate alliance yeah that, ultimate that alliance stuff like that yeah and yeah. That, that kind of series always it doesn't baffle me but it's just like I obviously I'm a big fan of games. I play a lot of games. A lot of my friends do, and just I don't know anybody that's ever played those games specifically. And it's kind of one of those. I suppose I could say the same thing about certain sports games. I'm like, who who is this for? Um, yeah, ultimately they're doing very well. Like super popular. Yeah, I mean, I would say our games for like our game tries to cater to games that are Marvel fans, like you know Marvel comic fans. We have like yeah. And then, but also like Marvel movie fans, I would say that's a even the bigger audience these days, maybe than comic fans. And then it also tries to appeal to people that like loot. I mean, that's the bottom line. Like loot grinds and stuff like Who that. Who doesn't are, like loot? I know it's very easy to get sucked into that. <laughs> um, well, let's let's we'll we'll circle back around to this, but let's go let's go back for the moment, Anthony. And if you can sure. remember. Uh, what was your very first experience of a video game? I remember my parents having a 2600 when I was a kid, and they would play it. Um, Whereabouts uh, was this, like, in the uh, country? Oh, uh, this was in a on a Navy base in a city called Lemoore, California. So uh, a Navy base, but an air, an air Navy base, which means that there's no water there but it's where they keep all the planes so that, you know, go out with it. So it's just a huge, vast space of nothingness. Uh, we, yeah, we'd play a lot of, we had Atari, but I feel like 
like the first game thing that made an impression was going over to like my uncle's house and he always spoiled his kids and they had a Nintendo and that was pretty mind blowing. You know, that was super important to us. I feel like we got one towards the end of the console's life cycle when they probably dropped in price. And the Nintendo was definitely like where I like, you know, I played some Atari, but the Nintendo is definitely like the console that was like the first console I played a lot. And when you say like we, is that like you playing with brothers and sisters? Yeah, yeah, still siblings. Play? Yeah, siblings, siblings. Yeah, I, I don't think uh, there was a console that was like uniquely mine until like the Nintendo 64. Like that one was like very clearly bought for me. My brother and sister by then were like older and didn't really give a shit about games anymore. Uh, so yeah, it was if that, like definitely if it was a family thing. Yeah. Uh, at so, least at first. So why do you think you kind of... Di- not diverged but you know why was that for you was it purely because they kind of grew out of it a little bit or were you just really into games by that point like was there a specific game or thing that really hooked you in i think it was just because the neighbor kids all of us there weren't as the years got on there was few things that we all were into perhaps but that was one of them that stayed pretty consistent and yeah, I don't know. I guess for my brother, he got way into music and so stopped caring about games. And my sister, I, I guess she never... It was always kind of a, a a minor thing in her life. And then I think for her, it definitely was a a growing out of it thing. Which sounds a little like like it's for kids. I mean, but I think there was definitely that perception. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, this is like, through all the people I've spoken to, this is like, a, there are usually not always but usually like gaps like little a couple of years and it's usually music as well weirdly that people kind of drift away and like no no i'm not gonna do that anymore i'm into yeah. this now and then you I was, sort of drift back around you know yeah that probably would have happened if if the years that i would have left games weren't also coinciding with like the years that of like the nintendo 64 because the years that i would have left games were probably when i was like super into skateboarding but my life basically was I'd go out skateboard with my friends and then we'd all come back and play like four player 64. So it kind and of, did you like, did you grow up on the Navy base though? Like it was that, cause that, that to me, I, call, I always imagine is like its own kind of little village. It is. Yeah. It's a, uh, the town I grew up in has like 45,000 people, but it's, it's really only like a town of like, I want to say it's like a town of like 20,000 people, which sounds probably like a lot to some place, but it actually is a gigantic amount of square miles. So it's you can drive like five minutes in any direction and be like, there's goats and cows and cornfields. Um, very rural. and But like half of the population is in the Navy base, completely cut off from the rest of the town. So you grow, yeah, I grew up like there for the first eight years of my life in this fenced in community, you know, with security checkpoints and stuff like that. And we had, you know, you have your own grocery store, your own movie theater. There's like, no, like everything is on the military base. Yeah. So, so what about video games then? Would they come in? Yeah, we had, come in, we had a smuggled in or something. (laughs) No, we had a store called the exchange. The exchanges, uh, was like basically our little, you know, a Walmart or target type thing. Yeah. That was owned and operated by the government. So they would get video games in there because I think even back then soldiers 
liked video games quite a bit and we had arcades and stuff like that and and we would head into the town proper or one of the little neighboring towns and go to the arcades and stuff like that sometimes was there any kind of any of those early kind of nintendo games that really stick out to you or like you know really made a made a lasting impression you think i mean it's tricky because they all kind of muddle together at that point but if there is any yeah mario one was like the game that i remember us playing because it was came with the system i remember us playing a lot of duck hunt when we got ours um but i think it was probably the second mario game that was like the one that i think like we played a lot um and and I've played a lot of this game called Fester's Quest, which is really terrible. But for some reason, my parents got it for me for Christmas at one point, probably because it was cheap or something. And man, it is like an abysmal game. But <laughs> I do. I, as a kid, I guess I just had so much of a higher tolerance for garbage. And Fester's so. Quest is that like Fester from the Adams Family? Yeah, it totally is. Yeah, it's this SNES game that's like top down most of the time. Or sorry regular nintendo game that's top down most of the time but uh it totally has first person parts to it it's really weird it has first person shooter components like it's, it's a weird 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 game i'm just also like screenshots of it now it looks insane yeah it's 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 a very bizarre thing that has like basically nothing to do with adam's family other than the characters fester i don't know it's a very it was a very weird thing Maybe they I don't just know. find out they had that license somehow and they're like right well we can slap that on something yeah, yeah. Make you meet a light bulb occasionally, and then that'll be fine. Yeah, your light bulbs for your weapon upgrades. For some reason, <laughs> you have a weapon. Like, it's just a bizarre thing. But I played a lot of that because we didn't own a ton of games. I mean, that was definitely in the... I mean, people still rent games today, but that was like in the heyday where you could easily go, you know, every town. It didn't matter where you were. I could be camping, drive into the local little village near the campsite and look and there would be a video rental place you know i was so i felt like you always rented games back then yeah and absolutely and like if your brother and sisters are kind of grown out of it did you start to kind of form like friendship groups around video games like you know you found your your friends like your little gang of kids yeah for sure i grew up in a neighborhood where uh i lived at a kind of a a tea intersection and all the kids on the corners all of us were like the exact same age so we all palled around from probably the time i was like eight to the time i was like 18 and so during that time we all definitely got like super into mortal Kombat, and uh you know would check out the latest nintendo powers together and stuff like that so and i think that not all of us were most of us were into skateboarding but not all of us and so that was definitely something that like we would continue to bond over um and, and speaking of like N- nintendo power and stuff like considering what you later went on to do and stuff like was that a big impact for you because like often i find especially kind of i think it is maybe a, a generational thing i don't think it's the case so much anymore but you know video games were not shunned but you know it, it's it's not a cool thing it's not a thing everyone does you know and it was, uh, I remember for me specifically, like, finding the magazines and finding this kind of world of, of adults who loved games as much as me. Like, that was a really validating thing, you know. It was like, oh, I found my, my community and stuff. Like, do you think that had the same impact on you? Uh, no, I think I fell off pretty hard from being connected to games. Like, 
outside of anything other than I go to the video store and see what's there and pick something. Uh, I wasn't like keeping up on games like at all, probably until I was 24 or oh, really? 20, 23. Yeah. Like I played them always and like passionately. And that's, I guess that's not totally true in college. I would definitely watch E3 press conferences as, like as soon as they got uploaded to sites and stuff like that. Um, you know, I, I watched like the announcement for the Wii. I remember doing that in college and I definitely would like watch the PlayStation two videos and stuff like that that would come out. But I wasn't like checking like news sites and stuff regularly. I would occasionally pick up a game magazine, especially if I was traveling or if I was going somewhere where I'd want something to read. But like those, as a young kid, those magazines were stuff that I read because I was curious to see what was coming but i i definitely like i was more into skateboarding for a long 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 time that was you know if i went to the, that was my community that, that i i went with so i'd always pick up copies of thrasher magazine or Transworld skateboarding and you know my room was full of skateboarding posters and stuff but throughout all of that video games were like always this thing i i was like super into all the time but just like not in a keep up with it all the time thing just like more it's a fun thing to do go with my friends recommendations and look for games to play with my friends yeah it was it was a very social thing for me especially in junior high and high school like that was like the social thing we did all of us together because in high school we definitely like most of us skateboarded but again we had several friends that didn't and so it was like the it was like the thing we could bond over and what were there any sort of specific games that were your like go-to multiplayer social game yeah, Bomberman 64, Smash Bros, uh, GoldenEye, of course. Like, we played hours and hours and hours and hours of GoldenEye. And on the PlayStation side, we played hours and hours and hours of Bushido Blade 1 and 2. Bushido Blade, that's a that's that's a, a rare pull. Yeah, Bushido that's a, that, Blade, That's man. like the one-hit kill game, right? Oh, yeah, we used to do first to 70 wins <laughs> because, because it's one-hit kills, so... It goes super duper duper fast, so we were we were very passionately into that game. That's the thing. Like most of us own Nintendo sixty fours, but we had a couple friends who had Playstations, and so they introduced us to a bunch of Playstation games that I wouldn't have otherwise played because I certainly didn't have the disposable income at that point to be like a multiple yeah. console person. Yeah, but it's it's interesting. Like that through doing the the show, that there is a very obvious divide between people in america and people in europe in terms of like they're they're growing up because seemingly everybody in america was given a nintendo entertainment system at some point in their life uh, growing up whereas yeah. in, the, in the uk and in europe and stuff it was it was very much home computers and so that allowed a lot of people to kind of see behind the scenes i guess of a video game much <gasps> earlier like i mean I, I never grew up with uh home computers i i grew up on consoles and i'd never never really occurred to me like who makes a video game or how do they get made it was like i'm just i'm happy that they're here but yeah. I, I had the, i know people who like grew up and they would just stick about with code like they used to print it in the the video game magazines you'd get a page of code that you could type in and make your own game and stuff um yeah. which is so did that ever occur to you as a kid were you just considering what you've gone on to do like was that ever a notion in your head like oh people make these this is a thing i could do maybe no, I don't think so. Not when I was a kid, because I think when I was playing all these Nintendo games, I think there was some idea in my mind that this was like all done in Japan. All of it's done in Japan. 
Which I should have realized wasn't true because actually, you know, I'm thinking about all these early memories I had of video games, especially even the earliest impressions, and my mind immediately went to Nintendo. But honestly, some of the earliest games I played were DOS games because my grandpa and my older brother were into games kind of pre-Nintendo. And so pre-Nintendo and into Nintendo times, we played a lot of really old DOS games. Like, actually, I think that as you mentioned, like how everyone had a home computer, so did we because my grandpa was like really into software. Okay. And uh, so, yeah, we definitely like, I don't know, there was a Terminator game that was actually really good for DOS and it was made by Bethesda of all people. Like that's an early, early Bethesda game. I'd never but, heard of this game, but this I can't remember who mentioned it. Some some other guests mentioned it and I, I was completely blown away because it has proper... Like it is, it has all the Bethesda tropes. You have like yeah, choices. Yeah, it's, it's open and stuff world, and, and you yeah. can go into a store, and if you have money, you can buy stuff or you can steal stuff, and they'll call the police, and then if you have to deal with the police. There's like multiple ways to play because you could be the Terminator, you could be Kyle Reese trying to protect Sarah Connor, you could steal vehicles. It was all three yeah, yeah. rendered. It was it was Jim Crawford who mentioned it, the guy who made uh, Frog Fractions. Ah. Yeah, he, I mean, that, that was a big one for him. It's crazy that it exists. I couldn't believe it when I looked it up. Yeah, I mean, it, it was like a we. It was like yeah, it was like a sixty square miles of map that you could play in. You know, it's like crazy, weird, gigantic open world. We played and a it's lot. Weird. Of that. So sorry, it's weird that your your granddad was like into software. Like that seems quite a, a rare thing in a in a family unit that the grandparents are the ones in the software. Like, why, why was that? I think he worked, you know, I should ask my mom. I, I honestly have no clue what my grandpa actually did. Uh, <laughs> he did, I want to say he worked in some sort of accounting company or something, but my grandpa was always a computer guy. Like in World War II, he was like a radio guy, like not like a frontline radio guy, more like a behind the scenes radio dude. And he also worked on, I think the Mars, wait, not the Mars, the moon, like one of the early moon projects. Um, oh, amazing so like he's always he was always a, a nerd like a tech dude you know like i think my grandpa straight up had a pocket protectors i remember it you know <laughs> and but he always had like one of the things when we'd go visit him it was so cool is he always had a way better computer like even that computer i played terminator on was a hand-me-down because he got a better one so he always had the best computer. I mean, even into the time I was in high school, like when I went to visit him, I knew that he'd have a computer that could run EverQuest. You know, he had a Microsoft Sidewinder back when they were super expensive because he wanted to check out MechWarrior. So that's amazing. Yeah, the I Sidewinder mean, was, that was like the motion controller thing. Uh, that was, was the that one, motion yeah, controller. Yeah, it had like it didn't have motion, but it it was the it was a, still a joystick, but it had crazy force feedback. So as that you take it. steps, it was like shaking all hard. Like, man, was, I haven't thought about that for a long time. Yeah. So yeah, it was. It was. Grandpa definitely helped out because he wasn't like an old guy that didn't get it. He was. He was the one that would always come in even when I was playing EverQuest and ask me questions like what this was about and stuff like that. That's amazing. So, yeah. so, so how, how did I guess your relationship with games? Because clearly they did change at, at some point. So. Let's just take sort of like college as a, as an easy jump off point. Like when, like what did you do first off, and like did did games kind of form part of your 
kind of identity you know because you get this chance to reinvent yourself you go to university sure. like do you take all your video game consoles and hope oh, okay cool maybe i'll meet some gamer friends or are you yeah. just i'm just skateboards all the time now no i think it was towards the end of high school like our senior year and stuff a lot of my friends that i skateboarded with started getting less into it but we st- but we still were all into video games and then when i moved to college i moved in with my friend ian who was never who was the the one guy in our group who was like never into skateboarding always super into games and we all got really really into everquest so when i went to college me and ian were living in a dorm together and man we just played everquest for days and then that's how i bonded with people that i went on to live with like in my first apartment like one of the guys on my floor came over and he was like oh man what's this game this is everquest and then before i knew it like now we have a guild with this guy and we've ended up living together for like five years um and so it was kind of mmo like everquest that kind of changed my relationship with games where it was like a a thing i did socially with people i'd never met and because you know up until then like i had played multiplayer games like i think by then i was playing halo and stuff or maybe halo was shortly after that i think halo was shortly after that yeah um but even then i was playing games locally you know everquest was kind of a big milestone for me in the sense that i was meeting random people and like going to visit websites to learn about guild stuff and like feeling like i was actually part of a community in a way um, in a way that no games had ever done before. And so I feel like that in the dorms, living in the dorms with so many people definitely was like a, a changing point because all of a sudden, you know, everyone in the dorms would be like, hey, we're all going to play Counter-Strike today and we'd all be playing like on our local area network and then we'd be like, oh, we're going to do StarCraft battles. Like I can remember I had a guy come visit and he battled this kid in our floor who was supposed to be really good at StarCraft and beat him. That dude called his friend. He beat his friend. And it went, and they were Korean, so they had a lot of pride. And they, and he ended up, they ended up calling one of their friends and saying, "Get one of our Korean friends in Korea. He's got to, <laughs> he's got to take this dude down." So it was like this thing, you know. There's like video games. All of a sudden, went from being like, I felt like uh, in high school, I didn't know that many people who like openly played video games. I think people yeah. were definitely more concerned with being cool and uh, chasing girls and stuff. And in college. I felt like all of us living in the dorm, since this was like our home and we were just being at home together with all these strangers, video games is like how I bonded with dudes that otherwise I had nothing in common with. Like I, there were plenty of dudes on my floor who were like, I'm super into Counter-Strike and I'm super into weightlifting. All right, I can get down with one of those two things. <laughs> you know, so it, that was definitely like, and there wasn't any ostracization about it. Like no one was like, oh, you guys play video games? Like I feel like by then we were on the up of like video games aren't this weird thing like yeah video absolutely. games are just something that everyone does um and do you think there was any specific reason it was everquest beyond the fact that that was just whatever the in vogue mmo at the time or was there something specific about everquest that you particularly loved yeah i don't think there was any game that was doing i mean everquest was the game that that decided to t- to make mmos vogue like i feel like even more so than world of warcraft like I don't think World of Warcraft would have been made if EverQuest hadn't come out. Like, I think that it had that big of an influence. And I had never played anything like it. I was playing it with one of my best friends. And, you know, it was just so unreal to be able to go in this world where the stakes were so high. 
because that game did things like permanent experience loss when you died. Yeah. You know, you could lose all your gear. It was like so punishing in a way that like 2017 me would never tolerate. I would uninstall that game. But, you know, uh, 2001 me thought it was the best thing I had ever played. 2001 me was finding ways because I didn't know how to disable modem noise to like muffle my computer so it wouldn't wake my parents up and I would get in trouble. So I was staying up to like three in the morning in high school, you know, running quests and EverQuest. Um, you know, I remember I was on a date with a girl and I, we had died in EverQuest just shortly before. And I remember finding like a payphone, I think, to call my friend and be like, did you find our bodies yet? Cause, and this is mid date. Cause I was like, I just got to know what you and your friend life. were playing EverQuest, not you, you and your date. No. Yeah. Me and my friend had been playing EverQuest and then I left to go on this date but I did the date to go to a payphone so I could call my EverQuest friend and be like, have you found our body yet? I don't want to lose all my gear. So, Did, did they find the body? Oh, yeah, yeah. In okay, the, in the scheme of things, I had only been playing for like two weeks at the time, so the world seemed so much bigger than it actually was. <laughs> you know, I got and lured they... into EverQuest by a friend that played, and he just told these grand stories about how crazy the world was, and I was like, he's a really good storyteller, and I was just roped in by how amazing it sounded and the game was amazing maybe not as amazing as he made it sound but still really amazing yeah i do find that like you were saying you know 2017 you would never tolerate that level of punishment so if i do find that with a lot of like eve is the the, the the my favorite example i suppose of games that i love hearing people telling stories about but i could not i could not sit down and do that yeah i tried to go back to everquest like two years ago and whew. God bless people that are still playing it, but man, that is just, it is a thing left, better left in nostalgia, because honestly, like, you know, like, EverQuest was amazing, and then Blizzard was like, yeah, but what if we made that and also made it, like, you know, not a chore to play, so. This is an, no, sorry, carry on. Oh, I I was just going to say that I feel like, you know, MMOs are kind of, as much as I don't really play them now. I feel like MMOs are responsible for my true descent into nerddom even more than like any other genre of games. Cause like we all played Halo and stuff like that. And, but like MMOs were always the games that like really brought us all together and like made us love games. Well, the, 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 that kind of leads into my question, which is like I've never played an MMO. I mean, I suppose I've played Destiny, which is kind of close enough. Yeah, but, it's got a lot of hooks in it from the same yeah. sort of thing. But I, I know I know what my personality is like, and I know that I would lose years. Like I'll save I'll save it until my retirement, and not just the fact that I would lose years, but like an interesting thing that's come up through talking to a bunch of people is there's a lot of people obviously who for who like WoW or EverQuest has kind of played a big part of their life, and they they've spent years playing it and have no guilt around it whatsoever. Whereas for me, I know that I would probably really enjoy it but I would also feel really guilty about it, which would ruin any sense of enjoyment that I had. Like, did you did you feel that? Or were you just like, no, this is great. I'm having a great time. Uh, I guess I had a lot of enabling people in my life because <laughs> I lived at one point with two other guys and then another point with six other people. And even when I lived with six other people, we all played World of Warcraft. So like there would and we were all in a guild together. 
So there would be times where we all had time off and we would literally say battle stations and everyone would go to their computers and we would all get online together and do something together. So it didn't really feel like there was something to be ashamed of because yeah, it was it was it was yeah. like this hangout thing, you know. Um, you know, not ashamed necessarily, but like you know that that feeling because I'm sure in the moment it's amazing. That sounds like so much fun. You're in this house, like okay, everyone, let's go play together. Like that, that's brilliant. But yeah. it's just the the kind of the hangover of it of like oh god, there, there goes a, my holiday again. Sure, there were definitely times of that, and there was at least one person I lived with who got like so into it that he ended up like getting like suspended from school and stuff like that. So there was definitely some problems. But for me, I felt like we all had really good game life balance. Like because all seven of us lived together, we all still had a lot of friends outside of our game circles. Yeah. So it wasn't uncommon that we'd be like, all right, we're all going to play World of Warcraft and now we're all immediately going to stop and we're all going to go to this party People are going to get, you know, tossed and then we're going to come back and play more World of Warcraft or we're going to, you know, I'll go to this party and we're all like all of my friends because we all worked and stuff, too. Like I had one friend who managed a movie theater in the town that we went to college in. So it'd be like midnight and we'd play games till midnight and then we'd be like, now we're going to go screen movies while the theater's closed. Like we were always good. We were still out doing things. So that kind of helped it not feel like we were like totally like uh, wasting our lives away, I think. So what did you go to university for? Like, I'm assuming, given your relationship with games up until this point, you weren't necessarily thinking about, I'm going to go and work in games. Like, what what were you thinking about? No, when I first went to school, it was for zoology, because I really wanted to be... uh, I think there's some crossover in the sense that when I went to school for zoology, it was because I really liked the idea of being on TV and doing a show about animals. That was, like, what interested (laughs) me. And I knew people like Jeff Corwin and stuff like that, who's like a he was like an American TV host of various animal shows. He was a zoologist, and you know I thought that that would be the coolest thing to go around the world, just telling people about animals, you know, traveling the world like that. I can totally picture you doing that as well. Anthony. Yeah, I mean, I would love it, right? That's yeah, it'd be great. But then I went to school and had to do a bunch of chemistry and biology, and was like, oh, I hate this. Like more than anything, I hate this. And so I let those early classes kind of dictate my path, and I liked history a lot. And at, uh, I ended up doing a degree in history, a double major. I double majored in history and religious studies. So uh, that was like the stuff that I found that just kind of drove my passion. And um, you were just following your kind of intellectual curiosity i guess you were yeah, necessarily yeah. thinking about what i'm gonna do yeah i thought you know honestly when i was doing all that i just kind of assumed that i was going to get a master's degree and then a doctorate which obviously didn't end up being true at all so by the time i finished school though i knew that i didn't want to do a master's i did like i took the test to get into schools and then was like about to start applying and then my friends that I lived with, some of whom I was in a band with, were like, what if we just took the next year to see if we can make this band work? And I was like, yeah, that sounds more fun than going to school. And I told my parents that that's what I was going to do, and they were like, that sounds like a good plan. And I was like, all right, mom and dad don't care. Uh, <laughs> no, that's good. I, I think that's really good. I had a very similar experience. Yeah, I was, my- trying to, I was trying to do university and a band, and my dad said, look, you can't focus on both. If you want to do the band thing, you're young enough, give it a go. Yeah, exactly. My parents were like, sure, you know, see how it goes. Like, 
you just now's the day. my parents basically had the same attitude now's the time so try it out and, and hey how was that what what were the band called what did you play i didn't oh, know this part of your life the band was called the mission carpathia you wouldn't be able to find anything at one point there was maybe one video online and uh i played bass in it i wasn't even that great of a bass player i was okay but i played bass and i sang uh i guess i don't want to say backup vocals like i did harmonies um but it was fun. I, it was with a friend of mine who now works at IGN, and uh, and you know we just had a great time with it. And it was again, all of us were playing World of Warcraft, and then we were in band together. So, um, yeah. so what what changed then? Like how? What brought you to to video games? Like and like the enthusiast press specifically. It's funny, you know, a colleague of mine and friend Arthur Geese of Polygon, he. Uh, a lot of people for a lot of years gave him shit for saying that the reason he has his job and stuff like that is because uh, I introduced him to people. That was a very common thread. And to some degree, that's not entirely untrue in the sense that like, I did introduce him to people. But, but uh, the reason I actually would say I got into games press and stuff was because of Arthur in the sense that we worked together at a Tower Records um, I don't know. Tower Records were basically like Virgin stores. No, there used to be a Tower Records here in Glasgow. Oh, okay. So actually, yeah, there. Pro- I've been to Glasgow. There was probably a Tower Records when I was there. Um, but uh, yeah, so you know, I worked at a Tower Records, and he was like my supervisor. And you know, the, the first time we worked together, there's always that fucking weird thing. You're gonna work with someone the first time. You're like, well. Because I worked with all kinds of people at Tower Records. There was a goth kid. We hardly talked. And then there was Arthur. And then it turned into the conversation about video games. And we immediately connected. And we're like, oh, here's our comfort zone. Um, And we just started talking a ton about games. And he was the one that convinced me to go out and get an Xbox 360. Because he had told me all about uh, Oblivion. And I was like, that game sounds fucking amazing. So I got to go get that. And then Arthur was like, yeah, and I also really like this website called 1UP. And I started like hanging out with Arthur, and we'd, and we'd get together to watch the 1UP show when it had come out. And I was like, you know, it, up until then, it hadn't really occurred to me that, like, oh, people, like, like uh, write about games for a living and go see games for a living and, like, do these videos where it's, like, about them talking about games. And... Arthur had to do a school project for a senior year web development class. And so he was like, we'll make a website together. And so we made a website together and we started writing news on it and stuff like that. And then we started writing reviews, which Arthur would do the layouts for and edit. And then we started doing a podcast together way back then. That was probably 2006 that we were doing a podcast together. And it was just him and I. We'd get together in my room and record it with like really rudimentary equipment. Um, and yeah, that was kind of it. Like I just got super into watching one up. And then at that point, like through knowing Arthur and through learning about one up and being into that, that got me into like all of a sudden I was listening to podcasts all the time about games. I was keeping up on news all the time. Yeah. I was writing for this like little website that Arthur and I were doing and even getting like other people involved like we even had a dude that was like a fan that we started getting to help us write and stuff so and at that point i was like working a job i didn't really like so i started like 
looking out there for ways that I could like do this and what is since this is seems like a job and there was <laughs> there was a website called Modojo which still exists I guess uh, but it was being run and owned at the time by IGN's Justin oh my god Justin uh, Davis and I reached out to him when I saw that they were looking for writers and he gave me a job writing reviews in exchange that I would get to keep whatever game I wrote a review for, which most of the time was like trash that no one would ever want to keep anyways. <laughs> and I was doing that. So really it was that it was just that like meeting Arthur and him introducing me to one up was like the sort of introduction the of the whole thing. Yeah. Like uh, up until then I had no idea that, that, that this could be a thing. And, like that this was like a career thing i think to me at some point of me like i don't even think i really thought of i knew there were magazines and it wasn't like i didn't know websites didn't exist but i didn't know there were websites where people were like writing a bunch of content and putting up videos and stuff like that like that was a kind of eye-opening thing for me do you think that was like a factor in it just like hearing from what you were talking about you know you're doing zoology because you want to you want to be traveling the world and presenting shows about animals and stuff do you think if there wasn't the if there weren't the podcasts and the one up show and stuff that you would have been quite as interested no yeah i don't i honestly like uh even when i got the job and i was like writing about games like even like at ign jeez between all my years i probably wrote several hundred game reviews um but i never really enjoyed the writing aspect uh like i i guess it's not true there were some pieces i liked but really, for me, it was from day one, it was always about like podcasting or like, making videos or doing all those things where I felt like I got to just be myself, which, you know, it, it, I also think is a lot easier. I think writing is a lot more challenging, but I was never one of those people that was like, oh, my gosh, I can't wait for people just to like read my article or something. I mean, I guess in my early days, I was certainly that way because, yeah, it was really it's a fun. new thing. Like, yeah. But over time, I definitely, even when I joined 1UP, I joined 1UP as a intern to write guides. But immediately, I was, you know, trying to write reviews and get to know the guys that I looked up to, both because I wanted to know them, but I think because, like, I wanted to do podcasts and stuff like that. Like, that, that's why I joined that company was I wanted to be a part of all that. You know, I was angling for what games could I play that, you know, so I could be on the one up show and stuff like that. Um, I definitely was always interested in the aspect of being like an entertaining person. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm clearly you've done like tons of that since like the amount of podcasts you've been involved in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's always been where I felt the most comfortable. Well, t talking to this, this kind of moment then, so you, you, you've met Arthur and you, you're kind of, suddenly kind of all into games or you being introduced to a whole new world of games like are there any that really stick out for you or any that kind of i guess kind of changed your your appreciation of them or changed your your feelings about you know what what games could do if that's not too grand of a question uh i think it was i mean when i played oblivion i had never played a gigantic rpg like that like i'd played world of warcraft um and, you know, World of Warcraft is certainly a fine game. But I hadn't played one where the 
where you could really get like wrapped up into I think that was like the first video game story. Wait, no, that's not true at all because I really liked Beyond Good and Evil. Uh, man, I think it was honestly at that point it became I I was less interested in playing games as I'm as I was the conversations around them. I don't know. I, no, that's I, totally valid. That's totally totally valid. Like, but with, with that in mind, though, would you have specifically sought out games like because of the potential conversations you could have around them? Oh yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. It it definitely made me feel like I had to start like playing things to keep up with the with the conversation, the, the capital C conversation that was going on in the world and the internet. You know, um, I feel like. There was, I mean, if, I'm sure if I went back and watched the one-up show, there were definitely games that I checked out as a result of that. Um, but none really stick out to me necessarily in my mind. Or just in general, I guess, like just games that had uh, like an unexpected impact on you uh, at whatever point. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's been lots of those games. Like, I feel like... A, towards my time at the end of the game's press uh when i played through the first season of walking dead that was a game that immediately like there's been two games that i can remember like i finished and being like oh man i gotta work somewhere else and one was walking dead it really interested me because i was i found that ending so powerful and then uh the other was gone home um gone home didn't make me be like i gotta go work at that company, but it made me be like, I got to work on a, on a game that just like can tell like a powerful story. When did that kind of start then this kind of like idea, like I need to, maybe I could make these or or was it specifically those games because of the, the story aspect of it? I think, uh, I started being a little disillusioned with press stuff in probably like 2011, like late 2011. Um, there was several factors in that, but one was, um, I didn't, I didn't see much of a future for myself in games stuff. Yeah. Uh, in writing, I've been talking about them because I knew that I wanted to talk about them, but I felt like I spent a lot of my job writing about them. And at the time at IGN, I don't think there was necessarily room in the same way there is now for people to just be like, a video person like i feel like that's like a thing and at ign at igm we were only just barely starting to flirt with that idea um i feel like igm was still a lot more like they were they were leaning into video but they weren't like i don't know they didn't quite like i guess you know if i had really thought in 2011 like if i had really thought about like what does it mean to be like a youtuber or at that time i think twitch God, I don't even know when Twitch was really came about, but I don't feel like Twitch was really a thing. Streaming, um, I'm just looking it up because I'm kind of curious. No, me too. Uh, uh, Twitch was founded June, and so it's June 2011, right? So, like, if there had been an idea that you could have a career as a streamer or you could have a career as a YouTuber to me more in 2011, I know there were people doing it, but that seemed like people that had won the lottery more than like something that like nowadays where i feel like yeah. there are a lot of people that do as a career um i probably would have left ign to try something like that um but yeah certainly like even now like it's it's the, my primary way of 
you know finding out about games like my number one thing is always i'll just look for like the giant bomb quick look or something if i'm curious sure. about a game yeah because that's that's all i need is and i and I, I guess because i know those because i've listened to giant bomb for so long you know i know those characters i know what they're into so that's all i need really yeah i mean i feel like if, if uh the only thing that would have kept me in games uh enthusiast stuff had been if i had like moved from ign to giant bomb like, I feel like they're the only people out there that are doing the right sort of mix of coverage that I would have fit in with. Um, and it's, so. it's difficult to see an, a, a competitor, you know, because they have this kind of, they were kind of one of the first to specifically, you know, do that. And they're so big now. Like, I don't I don't see necessarily room in the market for them. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe I'm just no, purely I mean, basing this entirely on my own tastes. But I mean, it's hard to say, right? Like... Throughout my career in games, I've had a couple of like major moments where I realized I got something really wrong. And one was I thought I when Giant Bomb came out, I was like, "Oh man, they're gonna close in a year for sure." Like, because I was like, "Who can make a new game site? Like, you just can't do it." Yeah. Like I was at IGN, and then there was Gamespot, and I was like, I had already watched One Up close, you know, and then I was like. I felt like I was always hearing about joystick struggling or layoffs at this website or that website. I was like, you just can't do it. Like, like that's going to be an abysmal failure. And they just, they just like, not, it wasn't any strike against them. Uh, like, I think no, no, could, I, I know in my exactly opinion at the time you could have taken like the dream team of the most popular people, put them on a new website and it would have tanked. But in, but at the time of giant bombs founding, there was also no such thing as Twitter. There was no such thing as gate of streaming stuff. Really? You know, it was like a completely different world from when I got involved with Games Press to when I left it. Like, it had, the face of it had literally changed, you know? IGN at the time when I started was all about their own video player, and then eventually they were like, we got to get on on this YouTube thing. You know, it was just like <laughs> just like such a weird time. Um, oh, no, it's, it's, it's amazing how quickly things have changed and how kind of, not linear the progression is but how you can properly trace like a very relatively small group of people essentially and how they've kind of you know completely transformed the online sort of video game world yeah yeah it's amazing um yeah. i'm going to come back to the to the your your leap into video game development but i'm going to take a brief aside for some uh, sure. relatively quick fire questions anthony um if you had to play a game with death for your own mortal soul, what game are you best at? Whew. Man. That is, I want to say, well, I feel like the game I was the best I ever was at was at the original Company of Heroes. That's probably not true anymore. But at my height, I, we were definitely like taking down relic devs and stuff like that. So we were, you know, that was like a game where I would play every night again with Sean Elliott. And it was, it was a, it was like when we lost, it was a very surprising thing because I'd go into every match just being like, how are we going to roll these guys? <laughs> like I, th th there's never been another multiplayer game quite where I felt that way about it, where I was just like, you know, like everyone was simply existing so I could beat them. Um, that, that's okay. I think I will allow you people being at their peak. <sighs> okay um are you just in general are you a competitive video game player have you ever been locked in any long-term high score battles with anyone i am 
super competitive at games to the point where I actually sometimes avoid competitive games with friends uh, because I don't like that competitive aspect of me. You know, when we used to, even in high school, when we used to sit around and play Smash Bros and stuff, I would usually uh, bow out and just watch because I didn't like, like, I would get... I don't like what I become. I, I would get angry, yeah. So, uh... Nowadays, I, I I feel like for the most part, I'm I I can not do that. But well, uh, on that tip, then Anthony, if you can remember, and I imagine you are prone to such things, what is your worst rage quit? Oh man, <laughs> rage quit, rage quit. I feel like I've probably never rage quit, but I've probably like rage phoned it in in a multiplayer match just like <laughs> oh that's even worse yeah it's just kind like, of passive aggressive gonna... like whatever yeah like oh i'm not even really trying now so who cares <laughs> but didn't have quite the stomach just to walk away um, <laughs> oh man that is that is gross yeah i know that's what i'm saying this is why i don't like to like play competitive things with my friends you know <laughs> just because I, I i i do take it personally um but so but nothing broken no no smash controllers no broken tvs nothing that bad uh thankfully no i mean i've thrown every time i've ever thrown a controller which is a few times in my life i've always intentionally thrown it into a pillow because at any time that happened i feel like it was probably when i was in high school or college and there was no way i could afford to get another controller anyways (laughs) so just it's not a good idea i mean i've i have good stories from people around me like my friend ian playing everquest who was like the nicest dude I'd ever known through a folding chair through a lamp. Like that was like a moment where I was like, <laughs> that was definitely an eye waking moment where I was like, this game might be bad for us. But my favorite thing about that, like that kind of extreme dramatic moment is just that split second afterwards when they're like, Oh God, what have I done? And then they just, they suddenly see themselves in this room. Yeah. The smash glass in the chair yeah, across I the mean, room. Geez, oh, no. Arthur one time was playing God of War two with me and, failed and threw my controller in the ground and immediately looked at me like i'm so sorry when he realized it wasn't even his own controller you know instant regret yeah i tend to not to have necessarily the huge outburst of rage i just become brooding and angry to myself so that's what i mean that's probably an outburst of rage would probably be more cathartic and make me more fun to be around instead i just turn into this brooding guy who's going to be angry for the rest of the night um uh given your kind of experience with with mmos and stuff like has there ever been a game that has consumed your life to the point where you've had to be like right no i need to uninstall this this is this is a problem i'm thinking that lately about player unknowns battlegrounds um you know my fiance's mentioned me being addicted to games a couple times (laughs) since that game came out and i think about that game like all the time but it was probably EverQuest, if I'm being really honest. There was plenty of times in in college that it was literally uh, wake up, eat food, EverQuest, eat food while playing EverQuest, sleep <laughs> at some point, and then immediately wake up back into EverQuest. Like there was definitely whole weekends where, you know we'd have a moment where we're like, oh, we should go outside. And by go outside, I mean we'll drive like in a car to fast food and come back to play EverQuest. <laughs> so there Just was a lot. of window, that counts. 
yeah, there was just like that was the time where I felt like we were just sometimes the saddest, you know, passing up on opportunities to leave the house and stuff like that to hang out with people because we were just like so into EverQuest. Those were the dark days, probably. <laughs> but I think when you're young, like whatever, you're allowed that time, you probably wouldn't have been doing anything super productive. Aside it's from true. That. And we laugh about it now, you know, but I can definitely remember days where like we literally spent 14 hours straight running this one dungeon, a very small dungeon, because we were trying to get a rare drop. It was three of us, and just, I mean, literally 14 hours, no breaks. Like, because in the EverQuest, since it wasn't instanced at the time, if we didn't keep running it, someone might come and take it from us. So, you know, we just had to stay on top of it. <laughs> no, you had to. You had to. We, we, no question. We had, we had to. Yes, it was yeah, a no, that, Totally understand. Um... Uh, Okay, yeah. So, so given like how um, the, the range of emotions, let's say, that video games are, are capable, at least, of, of providing, one of the the rarest uh, is is comedy. So, Anthony, what games have made you laugh? I feel like uh, some of the Telltale games have made me laugh. Even like The Walking Dead and stuff. Sometimes they have really good like uh, lines in them. Uh, I think the Fallout games have made me laugh just with some of the scenarios they put you in. Um, I definitely laughed while playing. Oh God, what was that? It's it's technically it's a horror game, but it's not a horror game. Uh, oh jeez. Uh, they made a VR game off of it. It's the one where you're making decisions for people. It's like the current PSN game of the month. Uh, oh jeez. Hold on. I, I, I cannot imagine what that is. It's a... Uh, hold on. Free game. Until Dawn. Until Dawn. That game is actually uh, okay. kind of hilarious because it's like... So, you know, it's just trashy, schlocky horror, right? So... I've not played it, actually. I'm very excited to play it. Oh, you should. That, I've had that's... endless recommendations uh, from people about it. Yeah, that, game's, that game can be pretty hilarious because just dumb crap will happen and then of course i've played a lot of the jackbox party packs i think no no games more recently have brought out more laughter in in like people that don't even i know play games like i've played that with my family with my fiance's family and those games truly have made us laugh like i have i actually to the point where like i bought like in one of those games you can make you can design t-shirts and when you're done designing t-shirts if you like any of them, you can order them and have them sh- printed and shipped to you. I've totally done that. Just yeah, no, serious. Funny, I didn't. I I did didn't know this game even existed, and I found out about it because a friend of mine, a previous guest on the show as well, Steve Curran, had a T-shirt, and I was like, I don't understand what that T-shirt means. And his friends had bought it as a gift, and it was their Jackbox Party Pack T-shirt of some insane in inside joke that only three of them got but yeah. for those it was the best joke in the world yeah yeah those games have probably bought me brought me more laughter than than any game um i'm gonna i'm curious about um player unknown battlegrounds because it's kind of that is very much the kind of it feels like the game of the moment it's the thing i see the most people talking about and tweeting clips of it i've absolutely no idea what it's about and why it's so popular like why why do you think you you feel like you're addicted to it i i mean because every game is different and because it's it is like a 
it's the same allure I feel like that makes people pull a lever on a slot machine each time because okay. this time you might win and and every time you go into a game of battlegrounds it is the chance that things are going to line up for you and you're going to win and no other game I've played has I mean it's kind of like playing in a tournament every time you play in the sense because only one person wins yeah it's, one same, it's like wins. battle royale right yeah yeah so you fly in a plane you a plane flies random paths over the island and drops you out and then you look for guns and just like in a hunger games or a battle royale that old japanese film sort of way yeah, yeah, yeah. like you're just making your way through and in the end only there will be one winner you know and 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 since you don't know how that's going to go down, it's just each time you get into a firefight. I like I've never played a game where when I made it into the top ten, my heart starts pounding to where I can touch my chest and feel it like hard. <laughs> you know, like I've I've I very rarely get that effect in a video game. And that game can do it to me every time. Like I, that game takes something that is trivial to me, like shooting a person, which I've done tens of thousands of times, probably in various multiplayer games at this point. And makes each time I do it, like, feel better than the best match I ever had in Call of Duty. Like, each kill I get feels better. Like, it's it's just an exceptional thing. And I think it's partially because it's so hard to do. Like, shooting in that game is not particularly friendly. And in general, that game's not friendly. Like, it's in a way, it's, it's almost got it captured a little bit of that EverQuest vibe. Where I bet you in, like... 10 years from now we'll look back at battlegrounds and be like god i don't know why people put up with that shit but it's because it's just doing something that people haven't really ever experienced before that sounds amazing i'm gonna have to check that out. also I, I i need to bring up the fact that you you were in glasgow because i remember this coming up on you must have talked about rebel fm or something but years ago and it really stuck in my head obviously because it's where i live and also because you seem to have a terrible time of it so what oh. was that about Oh, Glasgow. Well, we st- we lived in a town uh, called Rutherglen, which was like no way. Yeah. So we 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 did a house exchange when I in 1999 and when I was in high school, my friend's family and they invited me to go along. So that family from Rutherglen came and lived in our house, and we went and lived in their little house in Rutherglen, across the street from a grocery store. And this is insane. We- my girl, my girlfriend is from Rutherglen. Oh really? Yeah. Uh, yeah, she would. She she'd be my age. So, uh, the girl that lived next door to us, like there was the girls who were our age, or something like that. What year? What year would that have been? Because that was 1999. Um, and yeah, they took the American boys out to go dancing in Glasgow, which was weird to me because they were like dance clubs for teens. Like that's not a thing that exists in America. Yeah, it's the unders. Um, yeah, see, that's they call yeah. It. yeah. There's no thing like that uh, in America, so um, it's a really weird thing to be honest. I always find it a bit uncomfortable that you have all these kind of preteen or you know early teen kids dressed up like they're on a night outside the the club. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an odd sight. Yeah, and yeah, we went out and had a great time, and I don't know. It was it, when we were there. You know, this was a pre pre internet. I guess the internet maybe existed, but I certainly didn't have the internet, you know, 1999. And neither did this house in Rutherglen. So we mostly took the train into Glasgow and we'd go to like the uh, 
the war the games workshop store that was there okay yeah yeah, yeah. it's still and, there is it wow yeah yeah and we, and we got we got really into warhammer like up until then i had never really played warhammer and so we'd buy warhammer models and we'd paint them and we watched a lot of this tv show called can't cook won't cook yeah yeah, yeah. and it's not uh, anymore that that's gone but i'm uh, very aware of this period uh and we you know it was, it was just wonderful enjoying this little house in rutherglen and uh you know, experiencing food that I had never had because I hadn't really had much Indian food, but uh, there was some amazing Indian food. In, and we went to Glasgow quite a lot, and it was really fun being in, like, this big city, especially for, like, a 15-year-old kid. I was in a yeah. city with people that, like, in theory spoke English, but I could never understand them. <laughs> um, like, seriously, I would talk to, like, older Scottish gentlemen, and be, and I was like, I know they just gave us directions. I have no clue what they said. So, um, <laughs> that's amazing. So, so then you 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 started to think about right. I'm I'm I need to do something outside of the kind of the the enthusiast press. But like, had you up until this point like, I don't know. Like you would, I'm sure you would develop an interest in games and how they're made, and you'd speak to creators and stuff, and that'd be part of it. But had you did that just seem like an obvious thing to do or was that something that you were really like, oh, you know, I'm really interested in this and you know, started to pick apart games in that fashion? Yeah, I mean, for like the last year that I was at IGN, I had definitely started uh, like sending out applications to places. Um, like I had applied for production jobs and I had had interviews and stuff, but I didn't really have any relevant like experience. So, I mean, that was the bottom line. Everywhere I looked when I looked for game design positions... I had no experience, but I had people that were already interested in me as a community manager. And that's like a very common thing that people were hopping off to do. Um, You know, like even uh, the the creative director on the new Spider-Man game from Insomniac, he joined Insomniac as a a community manager, if I remember right. Uh, And so, you know, that was definitely something I was looking into. but I just like in the end, what I really wanted to do is I wanted to make games. I didn't want to, like, you know, I guess continue to make podcasts about or, you know, but only about one game or something like that. Like that didn't really interest me. And the other thing was is I was still doing things like Rebel FM and uh, Comedy Button and stuff, and I knew that, and I was always hearing stories from people that got involved in development at larger studios and had to quit these things. And so I was interested in game development, but I didn't want to jump into it for something that was going to like make me ditch all the things that I was involved in outside yeah. of work. Um, and so and, you hadn't considered like setting up yourself, I guess, because this would have been, you know, like post the kind of indie renaissance and the, you know, the summer of arcade and stuff. Like, was that ever a consideration? Like, did you ever make like just little tiny games yourself or did you just gonna go want to go and work for a company? <laughs> I downloaded Unreal several times and tried to learn it myself and didn't have the discipline to really do it that way. So I definitely knew that I needed to like get a job, but I didn't really know what I needed to do to get that job. Like Nowadays, there are universities you can go to and stuff like that, and they expect you to know programming for a lot of jobs. It was very hard and increasingly more so to find a designer job that was more old, old school in the sense that like you hear about a lot of these old game designers, and they were like, I was just like a cable technician for cable installation. And then I got a job at a game studio. Like that stuff doesn't really happen anymore. 
Um, and actually, I was on the verge of taking a community manager job uh, right before I got into development. I was actually talking with the Star Citizen people at one point, and we had and I sat down with uh, the head of the whole project because we had met during my game press games days when I wrote about the game, and he had liked me a lot and was like, "I think you should come do community for us because they didn't have anyone doing all their video and stuff." Yeah. And we had dinner, me, him, and his wife, and we talked a lot about it, and it was pretty much a done deal. Like, there was no paperwork signed, but he was like, yeah, you should definitely take this job. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to take this job. But um, That would have been some job to take. Yeah, I'd still be making videos about a game that's not out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, then I ended up having a demo for Daylight with the head of zombie jared gerritsen and he and i had shot the shit a bunch because i had written about blacklight before and i had always hung out with them because he's a a shoop uh, he's a schmoozer schmoozer among schmoozers man and we had gone and hung out a bunch and had always had a great time and so we were at dinner after the daylight demo and you know, he was talking about my job and stuff, and I was like, yeah, I like it, but someday, I don't know if I like it that much. I think I'd rather be involved in development or something like this is what I had said to him. And he, The tone of our conversation like immediately took a left turn where it was no longer uh, two people hanging out. It was almost like an impromptu interview, and he just asked me how serious I was and stuff. And then like a month later, he brought me up for an interview, and... Uh, Thankfully, I didn't have to interview against people who were like actual game designers because he was really interested and he wanted to bring someone who was not from a traditional path into the studio, but he also wanted to bring someone that he thought would bring some sort of following with them so that they could do more streaming at the studio and stuff like that. And so that's kind of how I got involved with that. Um, You know, it was very fortunate that he took a chance on me for, for someone that had no technical reason to be there. Um, and I think I had a lot, it was, you know, there was a lot of baggage to it that I didn't really understand. Cause I had assumed that the studio had interviewed a bunch of more traditional designers and stuff like that. But really it had been me and like one other guy. And he had basically told them, these are your only two options, pick one. Right. So, okay. Uh, you know, I think there was definitely probably initially some like, you know, who the fuck is this dude and why is yeah. he here type thing. And so thankfully I, that was something we were, I was kind of able to overcome. Cause I think I'm, I'm fascinated though. Like how, how, the, how that works, like for someone who doesn't have necessarily this kind of technical background and, and w- so were you going in as a game designer and like what? Yeah. I, my how title, does that work? Like, what do you do? Do you know My what I title mean? was game designer. I sat at my computer. They were like, this is unreal. Uh, and this is how we do source control. We're making a scary game. Make us a scary game. And so, like, there was at the time when I joined, there was basically no. Pr- and the curb your enthusiasm music begins. Yeah, to play exactly. As it pulls yeah. out. When I joined the company, in theory, I was actually brought on to to be a designer for the console port or the PC port of the Guardians of Middle Earth game. Guardians of Middle Earth was a. Uh, like a Dota-like game, but made with all the characters from Middle Earth. 
and there was or it was originally made for consoles but then they decided to make it a free-to-play game on pc so that was what the studio was porting and that's what i was brought on to help out with but when i wasn't helping out with that the expectation was that i was going to sit down like both on the clock and off the clock and learn unreal and thankfully i had a producer named kale who uh would sit down with me and and give me little lessons because he had kind of been teaching himself some Unreal. And I would just open up the stuff that the team had made with the demo, and I would basically just dick around with the engine and try and fulfill, like, basic things and learn how to do basic things and then just bash my head against the wall, basically, until I, I started learning the engine a little tiny bit at a time. Um... And thankfully, I was able to make enough people like me there that people offered their help at times. Yeah, because that that was definitely uh, crucial. Because um, the other most of the people there were working on other projects, and so you know they had to go out of their way to provide me time to kind of keep me from like spinning my wheels on something indefinitely. Because there was definitely a lot of roadblocks early on. That must have been so tricky, though. Like because you would be kind of your ideas would kind of be limited in terms of what you could do right i mean especially once you start getting into it and realizing like oh man this is this is tricky like you, you wouldn't necessarily have these kind of pie in the sky ideas like okay so we want yeah. 100 dudes here and you know this airship comes in and then every, you know just random anything anything goes design yeah i mean it was it was very constrained in the sense that like as far as a horror game went, you know, like it was a while, it was a few months into my job before I even really understood how to like set up like a jump scare type event, you know, like a player hits a trigger and then it knocks these things around and stuff. On top of the fact that our game was procedurally generated, so it was designing around the idea that you didn't even, it wasn't like you could set up consecutive things like, oh, the player will have, this will happen, then this will happen, then this will happen. Like so many of the ideas were being flushed out into that, into well into the late into that game's development, to where, you know, it was I didn't even know what room they were going to be in next, let alone what scares <laughs> they were going to encounter. So, you might go into a section of hallway and it would be popping off left and right, and then twenty more rooms with nothing happening. Like there was a lot of failures of. That's like this was the first game the studio ever, uh, like, really made that was like their own thing, and like totally unique for them. And so, it was definitely like, yeah, it was. It, I guess as you said, it was very tricky. Like, it, there was, it was an extreme challenge to do, and a lot of it suffered because of the fact that it was made by, like, very junior people for the most part. You know, but you even, stuck out though. You stuck out, so that's it. Clearly, can't have gone that badly that you uh, know it's turned you off for life. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, if anything, I think ten months of crunching like that on a game and having it ship, like it was a little bit disheartening. But if anything, I feel like that was the story of that studio. You know, it closed shortly after I got laid off, but it had been around for twenty years, and it was because it was a very scrappy studio, like, like. Uh, you know, I hear other studios and, you know, they think like 
oh man, we have to make this game for a tiny amount of money. Like I think we have to make this game for like $10 million or something. And I'm like, you guys have literally no clue like how to make something scrappy. Like the like the biggest budget game I think Zombie ever made was like probably a few million dollars. The game I made was definitely made for less than a million dollars. Um, and, you know, it was made largely by like 10 people with 20 or so other people helping on and off when they had time. Um, but like that was something like, you know, like I don't feel like there are a lot of studios out there that if you told them this has to be done in 10 months, it has to be procedurally generated and you have to use an engine that no one shipped on. Like, they would be like, there's just no way. Whereas the zombie, they were like, you know, yes, we'll sign that contract and we'll yeah. fucking find a way <laughs> to make that happen. You know? it's, it's, it's just kind of a shame that the kind of studios like that kind of seem to be dying out. You know, you only have, you have crazy, super expensive, insane AAA games and then kind of super small indie games. And I suppose, like, actually maybe some of the indie games are starting to get a bit bigger now but you know there was always that kind of middle tier of games usually where like um it would be like a movie tie-in or something you know like there were companies that you know existed right. people who worked their whole lives doing that and that, that kind of seems to have yes. gone away a little bit yeah zombie was a weird place you know they they made the saw games speaking of movie tie-ins and then half the studio at any given time was pretty much always devoted to like military projects you know developing like simulator games for the army or various other military branches. So, the, you know, the, Zombie was definitely a weird studio in the sense that, like, a 10-man team uh, supplemented by, like, a 20-man team could ship something very fast there because you had a bunch of people who were working on military projects who couldn't ever put or show anything they made on their resume or portfolio so they were anxious to work on games that were shipping. So when they'd finish at the end of the day with their army project, they would they would uh, gladfully crunch. Glad they would like they would go and crunch on these like retail game projects, you know. So that that was like the only reason those those like crazy cycles could be fulfilled, where you would That's ship a game. That's fascinating that they'd have yeah. these games that they weren't allowed to talk about. I never yeah. really. Con- I mean, obviously, I, I you know you hear about. America's Army and stuff, but I didn't. I'd never really thought that they would be more than that. That's, that's yeah. America's Army thread. is more of a recruitment tool, and that was also yeah. by Zombie. Uh, <laughs> so that was like the one forward-facing thing the Army team got to do. But most of the time, they would be working on behind-the-scenes shit that you would never see because it'd be like this is like a thing for paramedics to know how to like properly go into a building, you know, and talk to people and stuff like that. Like very. Not that's games. crazy simulations not games yeah and so Man, that that's that's a whole thing i'd never even heard of until now that that's amazing to me now i want to see and play all of those things yeah i'm, I'm sure out there, somewhere out there you know it's like all these really hardcore simulators for firefighters and stuff like that that some agency is paid for um but yeah those guys were so anxious to work on actual like pl- video games that they would go out of their way and spend extra hours helping us ship these games that were otherwise unshippable in 10 months. Um, That's, and did that kind of give you, I mean, I know you're now kind of, you've continued working, but like, I guess like seeing the, this small team able to do this huge thing, like did that start you thinking like you could do something yourself? I'm just curious why you, you wouldn't have taken that step or tried to take that step or if it's just not something you're, you I mean, don't have so, any kind of burning idea that you need to get or anything. I do. Um, 
but rent is also i mean if i did it i would have to live somewhere else the bay area is like prohibitively expensive like i feel like even with what a game designer can make you still end up dumping like a whole paycheck uh out of your two you get a month fully into rent you know um just because tech companies so like if i was living somewhere else i could see it and i think it's something that i'll probably try at some point um for now simply as a means of getting enough experience yeah like it's been better to work it on other people's games i mean i i still have like i definitely still have a lot to learn and i've been very fortunate to learn um but but yeah i I feel like we're right on the cusp where it's something that i mean honestly we're already there like if, if i wanted to and i had again the discipline i could be working on something every night you know on uh, completely on my own um i guess the crux of that is like do you do you see it more as uh, a job or is there kind of or, or as a, a an artistic expression I, suppose. I mean obviously it can be both and it probably is both but like you know it, is it enjoyable like is it as as you know fun and fulfilling as as you hoped it would be i suppose yeah i think it depends on the project when i was working on that daylight game even though that game wasn't that great that was still super exciting because um you know it was my first game and i didn't know the full extent of what we could accomplish and what we couldn't like if i was making that game right now i would probably have a different attitude because i just thought that there was nothing we probably couldn't do if we just had the time yeah. um, but i i i think uh it just comes down to the project the current project i'm on marvel heroes it's a fine game it's a good game but i don't find it very creatively fulfilling you know i feel okay saying that out loud i've said that to my uh employers before like you know working on a licensed ip is is really awesome like marvel ip is really great but like at the same time it's i want to i do yearn for something where it's like our own original idea and we can do whatever and we can do whatever we want with it you know so i i think that i eagerly await the time where we can finally like like either with the studio or with someone else or by myself, like really like crack ground on something. Even sometimes when I think about working somewhere else, you know, it's like, I've seen like, Oh, respawns making a star Wars game. That could be cool to work on a star Wars game. But I know the fact of the matter is they've already announced that star Wars game. So that means pre-production on that star Wars game is already well underway. If yeah, not production. Yeah, yeah. And so if I were to join a team like that, I'd be joining into someone else's vision and probably just helping carry out that vision and sometimes that does not seem as appealing to me because I like it. Like the thing about daylight that was like such a special thing was yes, there was like a prototype made when I joined the company, but the game ended up nothing like it's prototype. And that was because every day I came in was, Oh, how is this system going to work? How is this going to work? And we had to answer those questions and that was fun. Like I, if I ever joined a new studio or something like that, it, it, I hope it will be so that I can help them make a game from day one where we're yeah. literally sitting down and being like, how is anything going to work, you know, off of this like very initial design document. Um, That's crazy well, exciting and terrifying all at once. Yeah. But working within, working within like a game like Marvel heroes where, you know, it's not like I could come into Marvel heroes and be like, all right, now for the first person shooting part, like that will never happen. Right. Because it is a top down action RPG. Like there's, well, not with that. Attitude, and it's, it, it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
and it's already a launch game and you know you're you're playing you're making stuff for an existing community so there's there are creative constraints put on it and so for me like i i definitely have a longing for the time when we can sit down and start prototyping something like prototyping is fun because that's when you find out something just doesn't work something you thought was going to be a really good idea doesn't and that can be really frustrating but it's also really exciting when you have to come up with a workaround like you know like when i was making that daylight game there were these big spaces that we called hero spaces and even though the game is procedurally generated it would procedurally generate and then each procedurally generated section would end in a hero space which was like a you know a known space that you would come in they were a little more visually impressive and they'd have some more elaborate things going on in them but for like the first seven months of that 10 month production they didn't have anything in them they were just big open boring spaces and so like at zero hour they asked us what can we do to make these interesting and so that became like my project for like you know a month and that to me was super exciting because it was you know throw any ideas out and just start prototyping and see what works and so every day my coworkers would come in and I'd go to my creative director and be like, what do you think about this thing that I did to this? Does this work? No, it doesn't work at all. Okay, back to the drawing board. Here's this really fucked up idea. Does that do anything for you? You know, and by then, that that at that point, you know, we also had like so little time and we knew what tools we had. So now it was like, how can I basically with like, you know, I have like a little pile of yellow Legos, a little pile of green Legos and a little pile of blue Legos. And they want me to make a really cool looking car. Well, here's the jalopy I can make. <laughs> is it, is, is it going to at least roll down the street? Like that was the fun part of it, you know. That 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 the way you describe that sounds a lot like the uh, your your experience with player unknown uh, battlegrounds. Like every day you're you're pulling the slot machine. You're like, okay, what can we today? Maybe we can win if we try yeah. it again. Yeah, and you know, and that was the cool thing was like, is this game going to even be any good at all? Is it even going to run? Like there was a lot of unanswered questions, um, you know, and it was it was just i felt like it was a challenge because every day i didn't know what i was going to do but i also got like if i go back and play daylight um i can see my hand in like everything which is not something that i think a lot of people get to say about a lot of games like you know i know people that worked on uncharted as environment artists and they're like oh yeah there's like this one yeah yeah, yeah. four minute scene in level three that like yeah i did the environment art there you know, or, oh, yeah, I did the bushes on that level. And I'm like, I'm not even an artist. And there are rooms that you walk through. Uh, in, that you run through in, sometimes. In, yes, in daylight that, like, I, that I planted the, the, like, the art. Like, I prettied it up. I did the lighting. You know, like, normally you would have a dedicated lighting person that does that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But because of constraints, like, I did the lighting for that. I did the artwork. I did this all on a whim. Um, and that ended up in the game, you know. So And I do love that. I mean, that was one of the things actually when when I when I first started doing this show, like I had to kind of think about like the the kind of people I wanted to speak to and because it was kind of the idea was kind of that you're tracing, you know, how the games people played have influenced like things they've made or gone on to do speaking to the reason i mainly speak to sort of independent developers is is purely because you can see that authored hand in in their work you know and i'm sure there'd be people as you said like people who are like environment artists and stuff that would have fascinating stories but the 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 connection would be harder harder to make i suppose yeah 
I mean, and I always uh, feel bad for those people. Like, I, I think I specifically did walk through most of Uncharted Four purely because it was like I need to. Someone's clearly spent a long time on these insane environments. I, I should look at them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess it's just when you're making games too. A lot of the games you make and what influences you. At least for me, it was usually just more things that I was playing at the time. I, I don't think I ever necessarily reached back into my like old old bag of tricks and be like this game from you know 1995 but you know when i was working on that horror game that was in a post amnesia world and i feel like that game definitely had a pretty huge influence on like everything we did i mean right down to the fact that at one point you know we were talking i mean god it's funny to talk about but like just designing how a door is going to function in a game where you have to deal with doors all the time is like a huge undertaking and we had amnesia style pull open the drawers of every cabinet pull open and you know that was something that was definitely like it has to be an immersive horror first person horror thing and immersiveness means that you have to open up cabinets yourself and then i played bioshock infinite and i was like this is an immersive first person game it's not a horror game but they never make you open a door yourself or or like open like even in bioshock which is like a multi-million, hundred probably hundreds of millions of dollar production. Like when you open a box, it just—it I don't even know if an animation plays or if it just snaps between a closed state and an open state. You know, but your character certainly doesn't reach out with their hand to pull anything or anything like that. So, no, I think it is just a snap. I'm trying to think of like tills and stuff. There was a lot of just they just pops out and you just pick right. up whatever. So yeah, and, and and you don't even pick it up, right? You just see little yeah, icons yeah, little on the, side of the screen, which is exactly why in daylight. That's exactly how it ended up. Uh, I just would put in Unreal, put the two assets next to each other, and then tell it to move the assets apart, you know, like pull the drawers out, that type of thing. <laughs> and then it would just add things to your inventory. Because at one point, we literally, like, I got into a an actual shouting match with uh, the art director there about the fact that he was like, nope, we're going to have it. You reach in with your actual hand animation and grab that thing and put it, you know, you're taking these things out. And I was like, there's no way we're going to do that. Like, not only because of the time it's good enough for Bioshock, it's good enough for us. That's exactly how I felt. Bioshock and Far Cry (laughs) were doing it. And I was like, if it's good enough for those games, like, why should we do these crazy things? Like, like I, I, you know, as an art director, I get it. Like, right. He's, he's an art director. Like, that's, He's he's all thinking about how beautiful it will be to see these things. Absolutely, but, yeah. But like when in our game where you have to search like a million containers, like do you really want to stop and do an animation every time? Nah, you don't. You know that that ten month production time, the most valuable thing it taught me that I think a lot of people in game development don't learn enough is uh, at least unless they work at a really disciplined studio. But I um, is I think one of the biggest things I would say is is knowing how to say and knowing when to hear the word no. Like, I feel like people need to learn the word no more than anything. And it just comes down to, like, someone tells you that your idea is not going to happen. You need to be able to defend your idea, sure, but also know when to say, like, okay, it's not going to happen. And also knowing when to tell people no on something and speak out. Because I feel like especially in the world of design designers have a tendency to overscope things and then have to fall back on some other plan like because at zero hour they realize that there's no way they're going to finish the game that they've yeah, set yeah, out yeah. to make and so 
being able to like put on a little bit of a produ- producer's hat early on and tell yourself no or tell other people no is like the most valuable skill. You know, I had a really great executive producer at Zombie who sat me down at one point and said like, you know, I know this is your first game because he was looking at my bug list and he's like, I'm going to tell you right now, you're never going to fix all those bugs. And I know that's going <laughs> to drive you crazy because it's your first game. You want it to be great. He's like, but I'm telling you, like, I'm going to stop allowing you to fix bugs. Like, you can fix them, but you won't be able to check it in. So it's not going to make it in the game. So don't bother fixing them. And, like, that was a really hard thing for me to hear, you know. Um, but I think it was a valuable lesson to learn because the bottom line is at some point, you're, like, almost a liability. If you are a liability to the team, if you can't yeah, just totally. accept, like, a little bit of imperfection, you know. I mean, I think in games, especially, that's that's so tricky like because the the scope of them can be so huge like knowing kind of what you're able to do is i think probably one of the hardest parts of making the games because you know they constantly hear about games overshooting and you know being delayed and stuff and, and like you totally understand why you know yeah yeah and i think that you know it's people uh, the biggest thing is you can't ever assume that you're going to get more time either right like yeah i feel like you I, if you read the stories and stuff, I think there was a lot of that that happened with like Mass Effect Andromeda, for instance, where like they just expected that they'd probably be able to get another delay, and then all of a sudden they couldn't, and they're like, "Oh shit, how do we finish this broken ass game?" Like, the same thing happened with Daylight. We wanted to get a delay. We thought we were going to get a delay, and then we didn't, and so it was like, "Oh shit, this game has to ship, like no matter what, right?" And I think working for an independent studio especially working for a publisher where if you didn't ship, you didn't get paid. And if people didn't get paid, we'd have layoffs. So that creates a situation where you literally have to ship. And so like, you know, I feel like there are a lot of companies that probably say like, Oh, we could probably get another three months or how are we going to do this? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And for us, it was literally like, Oh, we're going to all lose our jobs. So how, <laughs> how, how in a week can we so definitely make- not doing that hand yeah. animation? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So in a week, like, you know, in a week, how can we turn this around? Right. And so that sort of pressure is like really terrible, probably long term on people's psyches. <laughs> yeah. But but I found it very invigorating in the short term because it meant that like it meant that we had to come up with a plan and like execute on it. And that plan had it taught me a lot about scoping. That's just yeah. like, you know, like I feel like there are a lot of people who whose ideas are very precious to them. And so like. You know, like, and if you're Jonathan Blow and you have a bunch of money because your first game is successful, you can draw production over years and make the witness into this, like, really perfect thing, right? Like, it's amazing that there are people that get to do that. Oh, it's, yeah. But it's then, a miracle any games get made, to be honest. So, yeah, it's, it's lovely that they do that. Yeah, and especially that they have the time and the money to make it, like, into a perfectly polished thing. You know, Blizzard Absolutely, gets it, yeah. too. But for a lot of people, it just comes down to, uh, you know, like, knowing how to gut your child and still like like keep your child alive like you know i guess you can live with only half your intestines it's a really brutal imagery right but that's how it is like you (laughs) you've fallen in love with this thing but and you're like it has to carry on but i guess we have to chop you know it's but the it turns out that two of its toes are frostbitten and fucking like uh you know if it has its arm it's it's infected and there's a 50 50 chance whether it'll survive so just cut off the arm and cut off the toes. It's going to scream while we do it, but too bad. Like, <laughs> like that's, that's how it feels sometimes, but you just have to like do it because it has to get done. 
like I think that type of pressure is like is is like I I, I like for all the things that happened and the fact that I got laid off like you would think I would have a bone like a like a an axe to grind against zombie but I was like incredibly thankful for them for like showing me like what it is like to have to really work under the gun like I felt like that really helped me not take things to make anything too precious and also learn how to like make things work with very little, you know, like yeah. even at my current studio, it surprised people one time when we, when like we were shipping this feature and they're like, Oh man, it'd be really great to have an in-game cutscene for this. But you know, like no one knows how to do it. And I was like, I'll do it. Like, I totally know how to do that because a zombie, like we had to wear so many hats, you know, yeah. like I, I don't think of it that way. So I think that, yeah, it's definitely helped me be better at my job. Well, I've got a couple of um, a couple more questions to finish up to two specifically. Like, I mean, th- this one is a bit tricky because it's so broad, and also because you you know you do a, a lot of podcasts and you, you clearly you keep playing games, so the the amount of games to draw th- from is going to be crazy. But are there any sure. any games, I guess, over the last ten years or you know or since you moved into development that kind of that that really stand out for you as being like oh my god this is this is a revelation i think that's especially rare because if, if you play so many games but do any immediately pop into your head uh well gone home was one again to go back to that because i was in games at the time but the reason i think gone home was one was because i don't think up to that point i'd ever played a game where there was no real like gameplay outside of figuring out a story like you know what i mean there was like yeah no threats um there was no game o- excuse me there was no game over state or anything like that you know and i found that the, and and i had never played something that was like i don't know a more mature storyline yeah uh, you know like i felt like at that point mature games for me when i was in college and stuff was like god of war and by mature they meant that there was like a gratuitous sex scene or something like that right and really high violence but it wasn't like they were trying to tell like a personal touching storyline um so i feel like games like that and i also think since joining development a lot of the early access stuff started after i really got i mean early access existed but i feel like it blew up and i feel like a lot of that stuff influenced my feelings about development too in the sense that I think there's a lot of people that have this, you know, like I guess there's a huge chunk of the industry that, especially when you're shipping a $60 thing that has to be perfect. It has to be this polished masterpiece. The animations have to be great. All the visuals have to be great. But for me, I'm perfectly okay with, I I think some jank is fine. I think some jank is even sometimes endearing. And I think that it's great that there's now, like a way for people to ship games in a state like that and continue to develop them. Um, so things like Rust, especially, like greatly changed the way I think about like uh, games in the sense that like Rust doesn't have any story, but the best stories I've ever gotten from any video games ever are probably from Rust. So I think sometimes now, like I think I guess maybe that's maybe what maybe more interested in systems design. Is, absolutely yeah it's 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 about giving people the right tools and seeing what they come up with is like a totally like i don't feel like there's been there's probably always been games that way but not in a grandiose multiplayer sense compared to what we're seeing now like everquest is very structured you know there was pvp and stuff like that but people weren't 
necessarily like there weren't the stories coming out of it necessarily in the same way Absolutely. that I feel like you're getting from Battlegrounds or Rust or these other games where it literally is just about creating sandboxes for people to toy around in. Like even GTA, that's a giant sandbox game, Oblivion, all these. But you were largely in them to play the story and then sometimes little happenstance events would happen and you, those would be the things that you would share or tell your friends about because they were hilarious. And now I think there are games that are developed with that. that like Those type of happenstance moments are the reason those games exist. Absolutely. Because they're just this there to create that and so they can be the most boring games in the world punctuated by like the craziest experiences you'll ever have in video games hands down and i i do love that like i mean i i've mentioned this in the show many times like i don't uh, video games to me have never been um uh, a storytelling medium i don't go to games for for a, a, to be told a story you know i just i don't I don't feel like they're they're brilliant at them, basically, but they are brilliant at making stories, and that's kind of one of the things that is why I love them so much. Is because nothing else can do that. That's something only a game can can do. You know, is make these random experiential moments. It's so e- exciting. But I, yeah. I imagine designing stuff like that must be is, is like it's insane because a lot of it is is kind of luck. And I suppose like your your point of like you know you like it when it's. Uh, a bit of jank is is fine i suppose that that maybe that little bit of jank might be that one thing that flips over and turns it into this it gives it this potential yeah i mean i think that you know rust and battlegrounds both are great examples of games where you know like it's almost like a a great example of that is tribes tribes the original tribes those those shooter games everyone when they think of it yes what's the one standout feature from tribes and people will tell you it was the way you moved and how you uh, you could ski along hills. Yeah. And and that was actually born out of a bug, you know, And but they embraced it because they realized it was this crazy fun thing that could create this new gameplay. And I feel like you see that with things and a little bit of the jank and stuff like that and rust. Like, yeah, they improved the animations and stuff like that, but there's also a certain, like, you just, you got to lean into what your community seems to respond to. And if they're enjoying some of the things that result from jank, like maybe weird physics bugs or ragdoll things, like, okay, that's hilarious. Like, don't, maybe we don't fix that. Maybe we just let that be because it's, it is janky, but it's also just like, I don't know, a hilarious thing. I mean, I don't know if that creates systems necessarily, but I mean. It could be that secret ingredient, though, like in amongst other systems that kind of tips over yeah. the edge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other question I want is purely from my own um, personal curiosity, I guess, because uh, this series of games, uh, probably some of my favorite games ever, is uh, Tony Hawk's. And being a kid who grew up skateboarding, you would have been like the perfect age, surely, when those games came out. Did they have any impact on you at all? Uh, yeah, I thought they were really cool, and all my friends played them. Uh, but I was never super into them, only because uh, of like all my things that I'm... I'm a very competent at shooting games. I'm very competent at most games. But, like, I have always sucked at any games that require me to do rapid input press combos. And so I've always been bad at fighting games. And I've always regrettably been bad at Tony Hawk as well. Like, oh, that, I must could been, never... that must have hurt. Yeah, I mean, I loved watching people play it. But, like, I just couldn't I just couldn't do it. I Skate, I felt like. Because uh, skate didn't necessarily go into like skate was just on the 
slightly on the more side of realism yeah. than Tony Hawk. Um, but even that was really a challenge for me to like replicate. Like I'm, I consistently have trouble throwing a fireball in Street Fighter, and so like it is very hard for me to replicate the exact gesture. And I usually didn't have the patience for it. I tried the Thrasher one, but the Thrasher one was like too far on the side of realism to be all that interesting. But yeah, I, th- I always thought those games were super cool, and it was always fun to like see like pros that I was super into watching at the time and stuff, you know. And I would watch an actual skate videos, but yeah, Tony Hawk was. It's a series that deserves a a genuine sequel. Oh, more than like, anything, honestly. I yeah. can't stress enough how much I love the the Tony Hawk's games at the time, and like because I just I couldn't skateboard. I've 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 never I've just never been able to do it. But I was really good at Tony Hawk's, and that was like that was my uh, as this kind of nerdy kid who can't really skateboard. That was like, well, I could do this though, which admittedly most people are like so, but still for Not, me, they were, it was very important to me. I feel like those games helped popular like. Those games helped popularize skateboarding with a lot of people who knew nothing about skateboarding. Oh, no question. Like, Rodney Mullen is still my favorite skateboarder purely because of his video at the end of uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3, which was unbelievable. And he just, I mean, yeah, uh, just the fact that you know who Rodney Mullen is. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, those games are, did more for skateboarding than probably, I don't know, probably anything shy of the X games, you know? Like, I feel like, People know there are plenty of people know who Bam Margera is because of Tony Hawk games. Like so, I don't do you know. still skate? When was the last time you rode a skateboard? Uh, I rode one about a week ago, but mostly just to kind of ride around. I will say that like the last time I went to a skate park was probably like four years ago, and I could still get around and stuff like that. But uh, I've lost the one key ingredient that used to make me actually decent, and that's that part of your brain that doesn't develop to your like 23 that convinces you that you know you're pretty much invincible and so now i go and i'm i'm like actually fearful because i remember the times i got hurt and i'm like oh i'm gonna break something you know or when i when i was 17 and in my early 20s i'd gladly throw myself down a set of stairs because it never occurred to me that i could suffer like a life-threatening brain injury or something like that (laughs) I think I, I think I must have always had that gene because that was always my <laughs> yeah. that was always my I, as soon as I stood on a skate I was like I could die in a thousand different ways just from this position. Yeah, I know. And, you know, it. you would think that would have come through to me because I had seen people hit their heads. I had seen a guy break his leg right in front of me, but I was always like, well, not me. I don't know for whatever reason that's <laughs> it just I was always convinced that I was not going to be the one that got killed. So. That's a good attitude to have, Anthony, in, in, in any situation. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like we've covered all sorts of good stuff, but if there's anything that kind of hasn't come up in the conversation, anything you wanted to mention, please do. Or just, you know, tell people where they can find you online and stuff. Yeah, I mean, uh, you can everyone, if they're more interested in Games Talk, I feel like there are a lot of gaming podcasts out there. Um, and, like, there are ones with, like, unique angles, like this one. Ours, Rebel FM, is a little bit more standard in the sense that it's mostly people talking about what they've been playing. But I feel like we've always had a good crew in there that talks about games in some ways that I feel is a little bit unique just because we have people that make games and people that are involved in various parts of the industry that make it cool. So you can check out that. 
I think um, the the longevity of it is kind of amazing as well. Like how long you guys have been going with that? I think that adds a lot to it. Yeah, it's been it's been eight years now. So highs yeah. and lows with that, you know. Eight years, we've missed some shows and stuff. Thankfully, and I say thankfully because I think if we had had it be like this reg- regimented thing that we had to do, we would have stopped it. I mean, there's definitely questions of stopping it several times, either through like like you know falling out with people because we'd get angry or like uh you know when i moved to seattle there was a question of whether we should keep doing it so because then i actually had to be skyped into every show it was just you know just different dynamics and stuff and yeah we've managed to keep it going throughout all of it so you know i think that when i was doing various podcasts outside of development the reason i stayed with rebel fm was because it was like both a longevity thing and also just because it was the one that was not a super commitment, you know? Like, it's, yeah. I'm committed to it because it's a fun thing. It's like an excuse to get with... It's exactly what got me into games. I mean, really, if we circle all the way back, it's still me sitting with Arthur, talking about games and what's going on in games, and that's exactly what got me involved in the industry in the first place, was me and Arthur sitting at Tower Records, talking about games and talking about the industry. Well, that's that's a beautiful place to end on, Anthony. Uh, thanks, thanks for that little little link at the end. There, it's very appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that was that was great. Thanks so much. Um, was that okay for you? Was that fun? Yeah, that no, was great. 